David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Sharaim road to Gath and Ekron. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. First um, Samuel 17, the ninth longest chapter in the entire Bible. And I didn't want, we're actually going to be preaching through all of it this morning. I didn't want Riley to be up here for 20 minutes reading the scripture. So we just gave her a section. But I'm going to go back all the way to the beginning and, and start from there. This is the second week that we're having in our series on the life of David. And uh, already, uh, just the second week, we are in one of the most famous passages in the Bible. Certainly the most famous passage of David's life. 
and probably one of the most famous passages in the entire Bible. You, ha- you can have absolutely zero exposure to the Bible and understand this story. You've heard this story. And this because it's just entered into the common vernacular of our day and age. Anytime a little guy goes up against insurmountable odds, I'm thinking March Madness. Anytime a 16 seed goes up against a 1 seed, anytime any football team goes against Tom Brady, it's a message of David and Goliath. It's a message of David and Goliath. We've got this all over the place. And so we're familiar with the story. You'll hear the sportscasters all the time. We've got a real David and Goliath uh, match going on over here. You're familiar with this story, but I think that there's so much going on in this story. I think at the heart of this story, it's not just the little guy beating the big giant, but at the heart of this story is this issue that's addressed, that's universal to humanity, and it's fear. How do you handle fear? How do you have courage when you're faced up against insurmountable odds? How do we, church, move forward with the things that we're afraid of, the things that we're avoiding? How do we tackle these issues? We call this story the story of David and Goliath, and it is. But more than that, 1 Samuel 17 is the story of David and Saul. Two men trusting in different things, addressing the same issue in different ways. You see David and Saul, his predecessor, the the king at the time. David's already been anointed as king. That happened last week. But he was just a child. And when he was anointed, he wasn't immediately made king. He was basically said, you will become the king. Saul is no longer going to be king forever. But Saul is still the king. And we see Saul and David approach the giant Goliath in two different ways. You see, this is a story of Saul's cowardice and David's confidence. Saul is a coward when he's approached by Goliath. When David approaches Goliath with courage. So let's just start at the beginning. I think that God is going to teach us today the secret to courage. The secret to courage. And I need that secret. I'm not a very courageous man. I'm the type of guy where if I hear something in the middle of the night, I'm a little relieved when my wife gets out of bed to check it out, all right? I'm not the most courageous person of all time. We need this secret to courage. 1 Samuel 17, verse 2. We're just going to walk through this, friends. If you've got your Bible, you can open it up to that. Uh, but if you don't have it, it's fine. I'll, I'll, I'm going to be reading it. It'll be okay. Verse 2. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in the line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. So let me just point out a few things before we move on from here. First of all, who are these Philistines? What you need to know about the Philistines for the sake of this story is that the Philistines are the arch enemy of Israel. The Philistines are the joker to Israel's Batman, all right? They pop up over and over again, like, you again, what are you doing here? They're always popping up, they're always foiling the Israelites, 
And they're just the common enemy that we see throughout all of the Old Testament. They pop up over and over again. And the stage is set, and it's really a dramatic stage that the author writes for us here and lets us know what's happening, because there's a valley. And on that valley, on one side, is the entire Philistine army. And on the other side is the Israelite army. And they're just looking at each other. Neither are fighting. They're in a standoff at the moment. One would think that there's not a large numeric difference between these two armies, or else they would just fight it out, and the bigger army would usually win. But they're just facing one another. And then we're introduced to this character of Goliath in verse 4. Verse 4, And there came out of the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I do all of my measurements in cubits. That's, uh, I just renovated my house not too long ago. I, I, the kitchen's like three cubits long. I was able to figure it out, you know? Six cubits, to put that in uh, what we might understand, is like nine feet and something inches. That's huge, okay? That's, that's huge with a Y. It's huge. It's, it's massive. Goliath came out there, but it's not like otherworldly. Goliath is still a man. It didn't say, and out came this monster named Goliath that was barely recognizable as a man. No, it said, out came a man named Goliath, a champion. And he came in, and he was easily the tallest man the Israelites had ever seen. Now, in the history of the world that we know, the recorded world, and there's a picture of this guy, so it's within the past hundred years, the tallest man that we know of was eight feet, 11 inches. So having someone that was over nine feet tall is not with outside the realm of possibility. But let me be honest with you. I don't think anybody was walking up to him, taking his measurements. Like, Goliath, just stand there. I want to see exactly how many cubits tall you are. Don't chop off my head, please. Like, I don't think that they were doing that. And after David defeated him, he chopped off his head really quickly. So it would be hard to get an accurate measurement after he's dead, being that he's minus head. So he was at least like, head, like not that tall after that. The point is not that he was exactly that tall. I think that they're more trying to say, he was the largest human that you have ever laid eyes on. He might have been exactly that tall, but I think that the Hebrew is really saying, this was a large man. Point is very clear. Verse 5, it describes him more. He is terrifying. Listen to this. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. That's 126 pounds. And he had bronze armor on his legs? And a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. I don't know what that is, but it must be impressive. And his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. That's 15 pounds. That's putting a man's uh, bowling ball, not my bowling ball, like a real man's bowling ball, on the end of a broomstick and calling it a javelin. I couldn't throw that. This is a large man. And his shield-bearer went before him. Verse 8, he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out? My kids like it when I do voices. Sorry, I'll do my best here. Why have you come out to draw up for battle 
Am I not a Philistine and you are not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. So what Saul is challenging the Israelites to is a representative battle. This was common back in these days where one champion, it's actually a champion is what this is, is someone who goes before his people and fights on their behalf. That's what a champion is in this, in this context. So that's why Goliath is described as a champion. One champion goes in front of his people to represent his people in battle. And if he wins, the entire army wins. And if he loses, his army loses. So it was like a quick and easy way of settling the war without as much death and destruction. It's just one person dying. And so what Goliath is proposing is, hey, I'll be my, my team's champion. You pick a champion and send him on. It's kind of like the Hunger Games, a little bit like that. Not quite. But so they, they send, they're, they're inviting one more champion to come and represent. He's inviting a champion to come and represent Israel. Because, let's face it, he's Goliath. He's huge. He's going to win. But when he did that, what you need to understand when he's saying, choose a man to fight, it's something really important. And it's this, Israel has already done this. Israel's already chosen a man to fight for them. Because when you look at 1 Samuel 8, this is the whole reason why they asked for a king. This is the whole reason why they made Saul their king. Because 1 Samuel 8 says this, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. Samuel was trying to convince them, you don't need a king. God is your king. He's the greatest champion you can have. You don't need a king, people. But this is what they said in response to Samuel. They said, no, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. You see, Saul was supposed to do this. Saul was supposed to go down and meet Goliath and fight him. But how did Saul respond? Verse 11, And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. He was scared. He was terrified. He was shaking in his boots. He was off hiding behind the horses. He didn't want to do it. And it's easy to understand why. The Bible says that Saul is a big dude. Saul was easily a head above all the Israelites. And when you're a big dude like that, you don't have to fight many fights. You don't have to fight many battles. People aren't going to be picking on you. And if they do, you just bop them on the head. He's a big dude. He's bigger than everybody else. And this is probably the first time in Saul's entire life where he's been challenged by someone bigger than him. And he's not sure what to do. And so he's afraid. You see, Saul had trusted in his physical stature for his entire life. He had this worldly wisdom kind of thing. I'm a big man. No one's going to mess with me. He didn't have to trust in the Lord. And so when he was put in a position where he was forced to trust in the Lord, he started to be afraid. Friends, if your life is without trouble... You have no reason to trust in the Lord. 
If your life is without trouble, I know that's what we all long for. We long for no trouble in our lives. I know that's what I want. I don't want any trouble. But without trouble, you have no reason to trust in the Lord. Our trouble, our hardships are a gift from the Lord that we might trust in him. I think many of us can relate with Saul. How he was the biggest man around, and then when he's challenged by a bigger man, he didn't know what to do. Many of us are, have moved to Boston, and where we were before Boston, we were the intellectual like prodigy around. A lot of times we were the smartest person in our graduating course. We might have a higher per capita valedictorians in Boston than anywhere else in the world. Boston's a very academic city. And then you move to Boston, and you're nothing. Like, before, you were the captain of the chess team, and now you can't even make the chess team. All right? It's, it's one of those things where it's, it can be intimidating. And so we have to trust in the Lord. Saul is a coward. What is courage? Courage is to, to do the right thing no matter what it costs. Courage is to do the right thing, no matter what it costs. And cowardice is to fail to do the right thing. Cowardice isn't necessarily doing the wrong thing. Cowardice is to fail to do the right thing. How often are our lives just like Saul? How often are we afraid? All the time. All the time. Friends, there, there are giants in our life. There are things that keep us up at night. There are things that we don't want to deal with, that we're afraid of, and that we think if we ignore long enough, they'll disappear. You know, Goliath, he went out for 40 days. You have to believe that every morning Saul woke up praying, maybe he won't come out today. We have all kinds of giants in our life. Some of us are facing things such as alcohol or addiction, addiction to alcohol. Some of us are facing things like addiction to another substance, some illegal drug or some pornographic uh, experience online that you just can't kick. Some of us are facing giants like anxiety, depression, mental health issues. Some of us have relationships that we just don't want to touch with a 10-foot pole. We have these relationships with our parents, or with friends, or with not-so-friends, with, with bosses, with coworkers that we're afraid of, we don't want to engage in. Some of us have a giant of being alone, of dealing with loneliness. Loneliness can be so hard. And so we obsess about marriage, But at the same time, we're also afraid of missing out on something. And so we're afraid of commitment. Isn't it crazy how you can be afraid of loneliness and commitment at the same time? I love some of the ways that Russell Moore points out courage. Russell Moore says this. He says, courage isn't just the cancer patient bravely facing chemo, but also the healthy person who is trying to put out of her mind the limp. The, the lump she felt in the shower. Courage isn't just the divorced person trying to put his life back together, 
but the happily married couple who look at their children and wonder how they'll ever afford to send them to college. Courage isn't just the dissident, dissident refusing to deny Christ when tortured by a dictator, but the Christian in a free com- country who refuses to define his faith by loyalty to a politician of any sort. So how do we normally respond to these giants, these fears that we have in life? The normal response and the world really response is do something else. Take your mind off of it. Pour out another drink. Turn on another Netflix show. Let's just think about something else for a little bit. Block their phone number. Forget to respond to the email. Delete the app from your phone. Let's just forget about that app. The worldly response to fear is avoid. Avoid, avoid, avoid. Friends, what are you avoiding? That's a question for us today. It's a question for me. I I spent some good time with the Lord this morning about that. What are you procrastinating? What are you avoiding? What are you afraid of? Here's one concrete example that every Christian here can resonate with. Who is that person or people that God has laid on your heart to talk with about Jesus, but you've avoided it? To the point to where you've started to avoid them. You know, you know that you need to be faithful to tell them good news, things that will bring them infinite joy, that have brought you infinite joy, but yet you don't know how to do it. Courage is hard. And here's why. Why is courage hard? Because the world is scary. Courage is hard because the world is scary. Without courage, you just live in fear and avoidance, though. And so Saul is a coward. But look, the whole story takes this turn on verse 12. If you look at verse 12, the first two words, the whole story changes. And it's this, now David. Now David. whole story turns on those two words. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. So David gets a bit of a reintroduction. We just, uh, we just learned about him in the previous chapter, but he's a little bit reintroduced here. He's still just a kid. He's probably 15 or 16. And he's not allowed to fight in this war for one reason or another, whether it be there's already three of his brothers at war in this war, and so you can't send more than three sons, or maybe he's just too young. But David's not fighting in the war. And what is he doing then? The story fills us in, verse 17. And Jesse said to David, his son, so Jesse's his dad, he says, David, my son, take for your brothers and an ephah of this parched grain, and, then, and these ten loaves, and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also, take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousands. What's David doing? He's delivering cheeses. Isn't that what you expected? Is there a cheese delivery service yet? I mean, he's participating in the gig economy here, David is. Verse 27. Uh, David overhears the soldiers talking about something here in verse 27. The men of Israel said, so it's just like soldiers chatting it up to each other here. David's delivering his cheeses, and, uh, and the soldiers are talking, and they're like, have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he has come to defy Israel 
And the king, the king will enrich the man who kills him with riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David's like, hold up. What did you just say? Did I hear you right? There's some serious perks. Let me hear this. Let me, let me ask you if I heard you that correctly. What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away this reproach from evil? Did I hear riches? Did I hear marry the king's daughter? That means royalty. That means you get to live in a castle somewhere. Does that mean no more IRS? His father's house goes free. That means the IRS is no longer bugging you for the rest of your life. He's like, this is how David responds. He says, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? All right. David's got some swagger, all right? He shows up delivering cheese, and he's like, who's this uncircumcised dude down here that he might defy us? I heard some perks. I'm ready to go. Now, if you're reading the story for the first time, that's exactly how you're going to read it. You're going to think David is a young idiot. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And so he's serious, though. He starts to tell him. He's like, I'm ready. Send me out to Goliath. Let's go. So they take him to the king, and he tells the king, let me fight him. And the king looks at him, and he says, you fight that guy? You're a kid. He's been swinging a sword as a rattle in his mom's crib. He's been a fighter since the day he was born. He was bigger than you at two years old. You fight him? No way. No way. You're just a kid. You're a little shepherd boy. So David responds to him, and he says to Saul, the king, he says, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a, and took a lamb from the flock, I went after that lion and bear, and I struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Now you read that, and you're like, all right, maybe he's got a little bit of something. But still, maybe, maybe your idea of David's changed a little bit. Maybe this isn't some little kid taking on Goliath. Maybe it's more like Bear Grylls taking on the rock. All right, Bear Grylls still does not have a chance against the rock. I don't care what, what rattlesnake he's, he's taken on out in the, the wilderness. He still does not have a chance. In verse 37, David says, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from this hand of the Philistine. And now you understand that David's confidence is not rooted in a youthful ignorance. David's confidence is rooted in a faith in the Lord. You see, David knows that God cares for him. And that God is really the one who's going to fight for him. Because the battle belongs to the Lord. You see, he's not being dumb. He's moving forward with confidence, knowing that God is on his side. God has delivered him in the past, and he will deliver him again. Sometimes that's really helpful for us when we're faced with a trouble in life to just take a moment to reflect and remember, God's delivered me in the past. I've made it this far. He'll deliver me again. He always will be faithful to me in that way. 
So what is the secret to David's courage? What is the secret to our courage? How do you face the giants in your life? How do you have courage? One way that's popular these days is to say, I'm a giant slayer. Bring it on, giants. I gotcha. I can take you on. And to give yourself a hype talk, a pep talk, hype yourself up. The world around us loves that answer. The world around us loves to say, believe in yourself. On Instagram, uh, the, the good quote, which is an Instagram uh, uh, page, profile, um, it had a quote, 22 million followers. quote says, you were enough yesterday, you are enough today, you will be enough tomorrow. It's inspiring. Unless you're diagnosed with cancer. Unless you lost your mom to COVID. Unless you're really facing a real giant. You see, believers in yourself will only get you so far. Jen Sincero has created a book empire with this message. Five million copies sold. I can't even say the title of her book in church. But it goes something like this. You are a bad butt. How to stop doubting your greatness and start living an awesome life. Do you hear the deception in that? If you just believe in yourself enough, you can handle anything. It doesn't get you that far. The real giants in life cannot be slayed by the power of positive thinking. It just can't happen. The real giants cannot be slayed like that. Because one day you will get old. One day you will get ugly. And you will die. And that can never be conquered by the power of positive thinking. The world tells you, look within yourself for courage. But the Bible tells you, my friends, look outside of yourself for your courage. Look outside of yourself for your courage. David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. The Lord who's delivered me from sin and death will deliver me from this addiction. The Lord who's delivered me from the destruction and slavery to self that I have endured, He will deliver me from this awkward conversation. The Lord who's delivered me from selfishness and pride, He will deliver me from this mounting loneliness that I feel. When Saul tries to get when Saul, when Saul finally concedes and decides that David could do this, what does he do? He continues to lean into his worldly wisdom, and he tries to put David in his armor. Now, Saul's a big dude. David's not a big dude. Remember, he was picked last last time. He's the, he's the runt. He's the small guy. And so David tries it on, and it's uncomfortable, so he goes without armor. And now it's time to fight. David and Goliath march out to face one another. And da- Goliath takes one look at David and starts talking smack. Like, this is, this is some trash talk right here. Like, I dare you. Use this in your next basketball game, all right? It'll work. Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the fields. Woo! Goliath's a little confident. You see, Goliath, like Saul, 
has never faced anyone, has never had to beat anyone bigger than him. It's a false confidence, a confidence in worldly things. David responds, this is the hype, the, the, most, the biggest pep talk in all of Scripture. I read this and I often just like, woo, let's go, let's go. I'm ready to charge, you, charge the, Mount, the Goliath with you. I'm ready to go. Let's do it, David. He says, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. I tell you, that sounds like something Samuel L. Jackson would say to somebody in a movie, all right? That is some really big swagger and confidence, but not confidence in himself. David has the confidence of the Lord. He says, the battle belongs to the Lord. The Lord will deliver me. He's got this confidence. Friends, whatever whatever battle you're fighting, whatever you're going through, whatever you're against, the battle belongs to the Lord. Friends, your children belong to the Lord. Friends, your parents belong to the Lord. This country, it belongs to the Lord. Whatever you are avoiding, the battle belongs to the Lord. Now, I could end right there and say, be like David. Face the giants in your life. Trust in the Lord. And there is truth to that. But in this story, the point of this story is not that we might be like David. If, any, if we're like anyone in this story, who are we like? We're like the Israelites all shaking in our boots up there with Saul, waiting on a champion to go before us. But friends, as Christians, we have a champion. You see, God sent his own son to fight the ultimate fight, to, to battle against death itself, the one enemy that you have no idea how to face by yourself. And his champion, he went forward and he defeated death on our behalf. He has won the victory. He has conquered over sin and death. He has conquered sin and selfishness and Satan. And now we, like the Israelites, after David conquered Goliath, the Israelites picked up their swords and started chasing after the Philistines, ready to, to join him in the action. But because the battle was over, the war is over. Friends, the war is over. Jesus has defeated the giant, the true giant in your life, which is sin and death itself. He's defeated that giant so that you might pick up your sword, so that you might, by faith, run after the smaller giants that are in your life. You see, it's, it's this interesting thing. I never saw this until this week when I was reading this and, and doing some research, but after David kills Goliath with this sling. He, he takes, it, it's like this rope thing. I actually watched a few YouTube videos because I didn't understand how it worked. He, it's not like a slingshot. It's a sling. He takes this rope thing and he like spins it and lets go of one half of the rope and the rock flies up and hits him in the head 
and it kills Goliath. And when I, one time I was telling this story to a bunch of five-year-olds. Megan and I actually met teaching a five-year-old Sunday school class back at our last church. And uh, I told this story to them. They were like, you forgot the best part! Because I ended right there. And they were like, I was like, well, what's the best part? They were like, he chopped off his head and put it on a stick and marched it through the city. <laughs> yep, that is what he did. But David walks up to Goliath. And what does he do? David doesn't have a sword. He went with a sling and a, and a rod. He walks up to Goliath. He pulls Goliath's sword from his, from his own dead hand and chops off his head with Goliath's own sword. You see, David used Goliath's greatest weapon to ultimately defeat him. And in the same way, Jesus uses Satan's greatest weapon to ultimately defeat him. Satan's greatest weapon is death itself. He is the Lord of death. And Jesus used that weapon. He dies himself to defeat death. You see, Jesus goes before us and pays the penalty on our behalf. Satan thinks he has the victory, but then three days later, on the third day, two days later, on the third day, he raises, he's risen from the dead, and he is victorious. And we have a king. We have a true king. Not a king who trembles and is afraid, but we have a king who's gentle and kind and who loves us, who can deliver us from whatever we are facing. Jesus has conquered the big giant so that we can conquer all the little giants in our lives. So friend, let me, let me end with this question. What are you afraid of? What are you fearing? What are you avoiding? Move forward in confidence. Talk to someone. Talk to a friend. Talk to a, a Christian friend. Talk to someone at church. Talk to me. I'm available after the service. If you're here today, I'll hang out outside after the service. Just pull me aside. I'd love to talk with you about what you're facing at a safe six-foot distance. Or if you're at home, write me an email, Fletcher at coachurch.org. Me or Ben, Ben at coachurch. I, I might just say, like, hey, Ben would be a great person to talk to. Me, either me or Ben, or there's all kinds of other people at the church who would love to walk through whatever you're facing. Because we believe that there is victory and joy in Christ. It's not saying that all your problems are going to go away. I'm just saying that you can have victory. That you can have joy that transcends your issues, your problems in Christ. Friends, each week we participate in a sacred meal to remember the victory of Christ. And with this meal, we're reminded of how Christ died so that he could defeat death. His body was crushed for us. His blood was shed for us. Let's pray together. God, as we come to your table, the Lord's table, help us to be sensitive to what you've done for us, to be inspired by this message that you have gone forward, that you have won the victory. Help us to have confidence no matter what we're facing. God, we are cowardice people. By our very nature, we are cowardice. But God, you are courageous and good. And you don't even have to be courageous because you have it all in your hands. And we entrust our lives to you. We know that you are good, that we are just poor and needy, and that you are good and mighty. 
We ask now that we will be able to trust in you with whatever we are facing. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.